is um, the object of our worship. And I just want to say it's a real privilege for me to be with you all today. Um, I remember when I would come to chapel, I used to love chapel. I would sit in chapel and um, sing like what you are. And I often wondered, would I ever get invited to speak at chapel? I thought, would that, would that day ever come? Would anyone ever give me the privilege to be where I am right now, speaking in chapel? And here I am, I'm living the dream. I'm speaking in chapel. It's a great privilege. But it's also um, a little nerve-wracking because, because of you guys. Like, this is, this is the cream of the crop right here. This, you guys are, are taught to scrutinize everything that the chapel speakers say. Uh, Dave Barker and I do a podcast, and uh, he often brings his class into the podcast and says, this is what we were talking about today. And lately, he brought an essay by one of his students. And I read this thing, and I said, is this kid going to be in chapel when I speak? I mean, it was, uh, it was an awesome thing. Is this the kind of students that are at Heritage? And so I just kind of gulp a little bit when I come to chapel and speak to our leaders, um, men and women who have been called by God to train for the ministry, to think ministry, and one day to experience the privilege of being in ministry. And I want to talk about that today, because uh, privilege can be a double-edged sword. It can be a real problem when we think of our privilege. Um, And you will have the opportunity one day, if you haven't already, to stand up in front of people or in a group, open up the Word of God, and teach. And for good reason, the Scripture warns people to think twice about that. Do you really want to be in that position? And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 2. I've been preaching through Romans, and this actually is a sermon from last week that I didn't get finished. So I'm just going to finish it now. Um, I didn't get enough time, too much music, and baptisms, and prayer. Actually, I can't complain about that. But you're going to get the rest of the sermon. So in in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he is uh, introducing the gospel. He's convinced, as he should be, that everybody needs the righteousness that comes from God by grace because we're all sinners. And uh, in the back of his mind, he's listening to someone say, well, not everybody needs the gospel. Not everybody is a sinner, Um, Wouldn't it be true that we who are the children of God, the Jews, wouldn't it be true that we have a special in with God and uh, we don't need the gospel, Paul? We're already in. Gentiles need that. Heathens need that. But we'll humor you and hear you out anyway. And so the apostle is trying to address these guys and convince them that in spite of their privilege, they have a problem. And this is a very preachable passage for me because I'm in a position of privilege. I preach the Word of God. I lead a dynamic church, as you will one day. And so what the Apostle does, um, and this, this whole passage is in the, um, it's, a, it's a first class conditional sentence, which is to say that there are two parts of his point that he's going to make. 
You Greek students will know that there's a protasis and an apotasis. There's a beginning and an end. There's a if this, then this going on with Paul. And uh, so he's going to list a number of things that are true. It's a, it's a first-class condition, so it's assumed true. And Paul says, if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, and then comes the apotasis, then this. And I liken it unto a boxer who kind of does the jabs. Take this, take this, take this, take this. And then the right hook comes, and you're flattened by it. That's what's going on here. He's up to something. And so let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, and what, what he's going to say here about these people is true about all of us. These descriptions aren't limited to the Jewish people. He says, you call yourself a Jew. Well, what is a Jew? The word Jew comes from the word praise. Paul's basically saying, you are a people who have been called by God to praise God. And isn't that true of us? Isn't that why we exist? Aren't we to the praise of his glory? In fact, in this passage, or in the next passage, Paul says that even God praises us. So we are a people of praise. Why would God praise us? Because we are testimonies of the grace of God. God loves to brag about what he's done in our lives. And so when Paul says you call yourself a Jew, let's call ourselves Jewish. We're privileged people. We've been called for the praise of God. We just did that, and we do that in so many ways. And then he says, well, if that's the first part, if, if you rely on the law and boast in God. So now he's saying, uh, this is a good thing about you too. Not only are you to the praise of God, but you believe the Bible. You're resting on the promises of God, and your boast is in God. I think that's something that I would amen to. We're people of faith. We rest in the teachings of God's word. We sang about that just a little while ago. Uh, we would agree with Jonathan Edwards who said this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So our boast is in God. Paul says, good for you. You're a Jew to the praise of God. You rely on the law and boast in God in a good sense. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. And that's also true of us. We are instructed. You're here to be instructed in the law of God, in the word of God. And it's, it's an awesome privilege that you have to come here and have some of the best teachers available to us give their full-time devotion, in some cases part-time, to teach you how to read Scripture, what the truths are. It's an awesome privilege, and Paul is saying to the Jew, uh, you have that, you, you've been taught well. In many cases, it's in the original languages. And then he goes on to say, not only is, is all that true, you're instructed by the law if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. And so he's saying, you Jews who are called to the praise of God, who have the scriptures and are taught, you're on a mission to make disciples, to teach the nations, to know and obey the word of God. We're teachers. And 
to teach is to be in a position of privilege. And so Paul is addressing the Jews, but he's also addressing all of us, every Christian, but in particular, you guys, myself, people who in the providence of God and the will of God will find themselves in some position of leadership. And 20 years from now, even if you have only one year of Bible college, if you go to a church and you're new to the church and they find out you've had a year of Bible college, they're going to ask you to be something. Teach this. You've had a year of Bible college. Do this. And they'll put you in a place of privilege. And so Paul, he's got the right hook coming now. They're all kind of excited and built up about these wonderful truths. And then comes the apotheosis. If this, if this, if this, if this, you then who teach others, do you see it? Do you not teach yourself? And that's the point that I want to make in the next few minutes. That our primary calling is to preach first to ourselves. And you notice the kind of teaching that he's referring to. Uh, teach yourself. Well, I say, I do teach myself. I learn all the time. He says, well, how about this? You who preach against stealing. Yeah, taught that. Stealing is wrong, right? Don't steal. Now you know. Let's move on to something else. Do you not steal? Or you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? Well, no. And I don't steal. So why are you bothering me? What kind of teaching is this? I know those things. Let's move on to something more interesting. So wait a minute. Teach yourself in such a way that the purpose of the law does its work. One of the purposes of Scripture is to teach in such a way as to make us uncomfortable, uh, to make us see our sin. And this is what Jesus said, isn't it? When you really teach the law, he said, don't don't simply look on the externals, but look into your heart and uh, allow the pain or the conviction of the law to do its work in you so that you're really uncomfortable and you're feeling like you're a sinner. Even though you love Jesus, even though you've been washed, you're born again, you're a new creature. What we do when we teach ourselves the law, when we do it properly, there's a sense in which it convicts us of our sin. And we're not satisfied simply saying, well, I haven't ripped anything off. Well, maybe there's a sense in which we have. Uh, I haven't committed adultery. Well, maybe there's a sense in which we have. And if we ponder the teaching and teach ourselves a little bit more, uh, we, we get that convicted sense. But the law also consoles. It convicts and it consoles. We don't wallow in our sin, but we're constantly being mindful because the law convicts us of sin. And then we're excited at the grace of God that, that reminds us over and over again that we are washed, we're clean, we're forgiven. Paul says, you've you got to teach yourself those things. Jerry Bridges says this, to preach the gospel to yourself, then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness. 
there's a bit of a theology making the rounds these days that really squirms at that. I'm a bit of a reform guy, wasn't always, but I've kind of fallen for more of the reform theology that makes a big deal of this. That, um, yes, it's Christ in me, I'm crucified with Christ, my sins are cleansed, past, present, and future. But I'm also aware that Scripture teaches me that although I'm a saint, I still sin. And the Word of God, if properly taught, helps me understand that. So Bridges says, to preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate again by faith the fact that Jesus satisfied the law of God, that he is your propitiation, and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed to you. Teach yourself that. That I'm a sinner, wallow in it, if you will, for a little bit, and then flee to the cross and give thanks to God for his love and his mercy and his grace that is yours by faith. Teach yourself. I think when we get to the point where we move on from that, that we begin to be part of the problem that Paul is addressing. And that being that there are, in Paul's day, there were the people of God who should know better, who because they were not teaching themselves, presented this image that they were righteous and without sin, and they became known as hypocrites. And Paul says in this passage, because of their hypocriteness, people blasphemed God. And Jesus had the, the, his most acerbic things that he said to anyone were to the Jews, with all of their privilege, who became so self-righteous that they became a stench to God. And so I think that's a great warning for all of us who are entrusted with this privilege of teaching God's people that we continue to teach ourselves. We teach ourselves about our sin, like Psalm 19 says, by them is your servant warned, that's the word, the law, in keeping of them there's a great reward. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. And on and on it goes. All right, number two, teach yourself about God's grace. Don't stay on, on the lessons about your sin. It is convicting. It can be depressing. Um, let, it, let it do its work in your heart. But like Bridges, Bridges says, then run to the cross. Experience salvation again. Uh, teach yourself about God's grace. For instance, Psalm 103, as, say, say this to yourself. As far as the east is from, when, you, when you're wallowing in your sin and you're overcome with your lostness and the wrath of God, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That'll give you joy. Teach yourself that. Or Isaiah 43, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Teach yourself that. Sing the songs of grace to yourself. So you're teaching yourself about your sin, you're allowing the, the, the law of God to do that, but you're also allowing God's law to excite your heart with grace and mercy. There's a 
interesting dialogue in Psalm 42 where you've got this self-teaching going on. You'll recognize it where it says, why art, saying in the King James, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You figure, what kind of psychologist? I'm talking to my soul. Hey, soul, I know you're in there. Uh, I got, why are you so cast down? You're speaking to yourself. So why are you cast down, O my soul? You shouldn't be that way. You need to be taught. There's a promise that is yours. Or it may be, why are you so proud, O my soul? Dost thou not know thy sin? Have you, have you neglected you in your pride and your self-righteousness? Have you not, O soul, you who are proud? You need to be reminded, soul, that but by the grace of God, you this day would be cast into hell. And so Paul gets to his point in verse 24 where he says, as it is written, because you don't do this, you who are people to the praise of God, who have the scripture, because you don't do this, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And I don't need to list all the dumpster fires that you know about in ministry that have caused people to blaspheme God. Uh, I think hypocrisy more than anything else is the thing I hear when people criticize the church. In fact, I think it's interesting that you, you see this in the names of new churches these days. Uh, they're, they're, they're aware that uh, they want people to come to church, but they kind of don't want people to associate them with all the nonsense that's going on in the church. So you've got these interesting names, like, and these are real names, you'll know them. And I'm not saying they're bad names, but I think this aversion, this disassociation from the hypocrisy and the nonsense, so you've got churches that call themselves, for instance, the journey, the shift, the way, nexus, the gig, the gathering, slate, elevation, and uh, more often than not, and I'm not saying, these, in fact, I get it. I totally get it. I think there are a lot of people who, who don't want to go to a church that looks and feels like a church. They want to go to a church for people who hate church, if you understand what I'm saying. And you get a lot of that today because people do hate the church. They're fed up with the church. It's not Jesus, but it's the leadership, those who present this air that they are self-righteous. How many of you remember uh, after the riots in the States, Donald Trump, God love him. I have your attention? Yes, I thought so. Um, he walked across with that plaza to a church that had been burnt out. And, you know, there were security guards. a bit of a mess going on for a whole, almost a whole year. And um, he goes over to the church, Donald Trump, who has courted the favor of evangelicals, right? And he takes a Bible, holds it up in front of the church, 
Donald Trump, I'm not saying all of his policies are wrong, but he's got a pretty messed up personal life, holds up the Bible and becomes the poster boy for evangelicals. And we got to deal with that. And so there are people who are blaspheming God because of individuals who put themselves in that position. And it's not only Donald Trump, it's all of us. And my solution to that, if you will, or the Scripture's solution, is that we continue to teach ourselves the gospel. What does that mean? It almost means that we get saved every day. It means that we wake up in the morning and say, I can't believe I'm saved! I can't believe God's mercy and grace is still on me! I'm not in hell! God is amazing! And so every day... Uh, we teach ourselves about our sin and about God's grace, and we, we are in the hour in which we first believed. You remember that? The moment that you were saved, how overwhelmed you were, how excited you were, how motivated you were to serve God. I like the story of the woman who the Bible says was a great sinner. And somehow she found out about Jesus, the Messiah, who was merciful and forgiving. And she sneaks into this room of, of males, and um, forgetting all the protocol, all she saw was Jesus. And all she knew was that her sin had been forgiven. And so she puts herself at his feet and begins washing his feet with her hair and her tears. And I can imagine that there might have been some there who would have said, well, that's nice, uh, she'll get over that. I got over it. What I want to say is this. Don't get over that. What's wrong with staying there? What's, what's wrong with, with every day seeing ourselves at the foot of the cross, saved over and over again, teaching ourselves the gospel, allowing ourselves to be overcome with what we don't deserve? And those emotions and that joy that becomes our strength. When we serve the Lord, it's with the strength and the joy that comes from our salvation. We're not going to conclude with a song today, I understand. But I have one. And because you're so young, you don't know it. Years I spent in vanity and pride... I think I know that. Does anyone know it? Caring not my... Why do you know that song? You're so young. <laughs> You're an old soul. Fundamental... Okay, I get that. <laughs> All right. Here it goes like this. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. Here's a part I like. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And I submit to you, don't ever leave that. Picture yourself every day, every moment at the foot of the cross there looking to Jesus, 
who in great love and mercy forgave you and preach the gospel to yourself, say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this sacrifice, but you're getting it. And just say to God, this is amazing. And wash his feet with your tears and let the gospel be real to you. Preach yourself. Paul says to the privileged Jews, teach yourself. When we do this, it will be very unlikely that we will fall into the kind of hypocrisy that characterized the Jews in Paul's day. They stopped preaching to themselves and they moved on from the elementary things of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We need it. We need it today. We need it tomorrow. Uh, Father, help us to be mindful of our sinfulness and be mindful of your mercy and your grace. And I pray that as leaders are developed here and as privilege is afforded to these students as they open up the word of God one day, may it be so in humility and not with pride, with gratitude to you for the privilege of opening up the word of God and explaining the life-giving message of the gospel. We pray a blessing upon these students, upon the faculty, upon Dr. Reed as he recovers. We thank you, Lord, for the good things you are doing in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.